0: This morning, I'm going to be continuing on in a series that I started last week titled The Sustained Prayer Life. And what I want to teach you all how to do is how to live a life of constant communion with the Lord and to stay in an attitude of prayer and relationship with Him all the time. The reason why that's so important for me is because Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus taught a parable, and He started out with this first verse, which I taught the parable last week, but I want to really hit something again on this first verse. Luke 18:1 says, that Jesus spoke a parable to them that men ought to always pray and not so that they don't lose heart. The number one way to not lose heart or grow weary is to stay in constant communion. Now, a lot of people don't know how to stay in constant communion. They don't understand how to pray, and I'm going to teach you some of that today, and we'll continue it on throughout this series. But the devil is after your heart. This is a heart issue. Every day we have an adversary and we have an accuser that brings accusation against you, tells you that you're not good enough, that God doesn't love you. The number one ploy of the enemy is to get you to be separated from God and to not believe anything he said, especially in his word or to you personally, or to think that he's a liar or that he's out to get you, that he doesn't care about you, that he wants to kill you, or you've screwed up so bad that he just wants to wipe you out. The devil always wants to skew God's heart and how he feels about you, always. And he works on it overtime. The devil doesn't have a part-time job, he has a full-time job, and so God gives us a full-time answer and a full-time strategy. Now, in this parable, you're dealing with a widow, an unjust judge, an adversary, and the judge had turned the widow away repeatedly, but because she was persistent, he granted her request, even though he didn't care about people. God goes on to say, I'm so much better than that. I love you, and I care about you. And even if you're facing an injustice, does anybody here today feel like they're facing an injustice? We constantly are facing against injustices, even sometimes when they're not injustices. A lot of times I get so fiery mad at my wife, or I make her so mad at me, and we feel like an injustice is going on. Now, it's part of the process of us learning to lay our lives down and dying for each other. But the point is, if you work or live in this world, you're going to have all kinds of injustices that try to come against you. And there's an adversary that brings adverse situations to your life. I taught that last week. But to lose heart means that you feel like giving up, you feel like quitting, you feel like your life is not valuable. Some of you today may be battling suicide or feeling like your life isn't worth it or nobody'd miss you if you were gone, that it'd be better to just end your life. Suicide is rampant in our nation, especially amongst young adults and teens. And what I want you to know today is that God loves you and cares about you, and it would be a tragedy if we lost you, and you wouldn't just hurt the person that you think you're hurting or yourself. You would hurt a lot of people and ultimately let the devil win. When God loves you and cares about you and has a plan and a destiny for you, and you need people that will nourish you, affirm you, encourage you, and to get into a family where people love you and cherish you and will build you up so that you can see who you really are. The devil works full time to steal, kill, kill, and destroy. So you have to understand that the devil always wants to kill you, destroy you, and the number one way he can do it is to get you to lose heart. This is a heart issue. And some of us have opened up our heart full-time to anything and everything that's brought anger, hurt, unforgiveness, pain, and callousness. Imagine living in your house every single night and day. Imagine right now if your home, your family's home, your apartment, or your house, where the door was wide open so that anything could come in. And when you leave your heart open full-time to anything and everything, especially this world, you're going to get hurt, bruised, you Imagine if I just opened up my heart and I dumped 90 pills of Oxycontin into my heart. And then I took a bottle of Jack and dumped it in my heart. And then I added some bitterness and some unforgiveness, throw maybe even a little bit of pot in there, and then just mix it all up together with hurts and pains and all the things that happened in my past, some of which was not my causing and not my fault, but some of which was my causing and my fault. And you take it all in there and you mix it all up and it becomes a toxic poison that does something to my heart. And some of you are living your life right now with your heart wide open to anything and everything. And what happens is is over time, you find yourself growing weary, growing tired, and then you come to a place of being calloused. You know what it means to be calloused? Well, I'm going to teach it to you. To be calloused means that I don't, I have become insensitive or desensitized, and I have no regard for what anybody else thinks, especially about my own self. And when you come to the place where you don't care about yourself, where you're desensitized yourself, and your heart's hard and bitter and callous, you'll pour anything into it to feel comforted. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever it is, you'll disengage and allow your heart to be wide open. Why? Because I don't care anymore. And when you come to the place of not caring anymore, it's destructive. That's why God has a better way. God has a, has a full-time strategy, and he says, look, I'm the vine, you're the branches, John 15. If you stay connected to me, you'll produce fruit. You can't do anything without me. So it's full-time hooked to the vine. It's full-time digging deep to build a foundation to get onto the rock so that I'm not building on a sand which will ultimately blow away when the floods and the wind and the rains come. I can assure you, anytime flood and wind and rains have come and blew the foundation of your life away and you crashed and burned, it's because we built on the sand, not on the rock. Now, the floods are still going to come, aren't they? The floods come to the Christian and the non-Christian, but only one house stands. And so today, what I want you to know is that if you get calloused, and you have your eyes on other people and circumstances and the affairs of this life, 2 Timothy 2, 2, verse six, if you are entangled with the affairs of this life, you will not know what God's saying and doing, nor will you be able to be intimate with him and please him, and instead what'll happen is you'll live for self, your heart will be wide open, and you'll be crushed, broke, busted, disgusted all the time. So Jesus made this very clear thing. He said you should always pray. Now let's talk about always for a minute. Always means anywhere, everywhere, all the time. It means I'm proactive, not reactive. It means that I'm praying prior to a situation or a crisis, if it is, during and after. It means I'm always in constant communion. Always means constant communion. And it doesn't mean compartmentalize just in my secret place time or under a bridge or at the beach or even here in a prayer room. What it means is that I have full, I'm full-time dialed in to listen, to hear, and to commune and be directed by what the Holy Spirit is saying to my life. You ought to always pray so that you don't what? So that you don't lose heart. And the devil wants you to lose heart. He wants you to give up. He wants you to quit. He wants you to throw away your faith. He wants you to throw in the towel. There are all kinds of things that the enemy uses to get us to that place one of the number one things he uses is unforgiveness. If he can get you offended at somebody or offended at me, you'll give up or you'll want to quit. If he can get you bitter, what happens is, is that bitterness makes your hard heart, and now you have no regard for yourself, other people, and you're angry at God. It's the devil's strategy. So we're going to break it today. I'm going to show you how to break it. His number one plan is to get you distance from God and to believe lies about what God says and for you to walk in shame about your past failures and your present failures. Some of you have a lot of past failures. I do too. And if you've been failing presently in your life, the devil wants to put shame on you so that he can keep you separated and distant from God so that when you go to try to pray, You don't know what to say. You don't know how to commune. You don't know God's heart, and you see him as harsh, angry, mad, or out to get you instead of loving, caring, compassionate, and wanting to forgive you. The devil always skews the way that God feels about you, all right? So God gives us a lot of answers. God wants you to see the truth of his—listen to these words I wrote down. God wants you to see the truth of his love, his tenderness, his healing, his care, His compassion, his forgiveness, his freedom, and the incredible life that he has in store for all of us. God has this awesome life in store for you. Many of you haven't connected to it yet or seen it, but when you get connected to it, it doesn't matter what the circumstances and situations in your life are because you're hooked to the vine and you know what he's saying and what he's doing and how he feels about a matter, okay? It's constant communion and it's sustained prayer. So the word sustained means that I'm continuing without interruption for an extended period of time. This is what sustained means. So what interrupts me? What's interrupting you? Now, I'm going to ask all of you to self-deprecate today because I'm not talking at you. I'm talking to you, and I want to speak to everybody's heart in this room right now, and what I want you to do is just own it because Today, you're going to shift in your relationship with the Lord and your communion with him so that you get strengthened and strong when you leave out of here and walk full time with him. All I'm doing is giving you tools and resources of how to live abundantly. But until you get intimate with him and discover this truth, you're not going to learn to walk it out. You'll be walking it on my coattails, and you can't do that. Okay? So what's interrupting you? Now, all kinds of things try to get in in the way of my constant communion with the Lord. I'll give you the most most simplest things. Binge-watching Netflix, every night watching the news before I go to bed, Facebook, Instagram, troubles, trials, situations, arguing with my wife, money, finances, my checkbook, my bank account, somebody that stabbed me in the back. Maybe you got cheated on, lied upon, somebody hurt you. Jesus said in this world you're going to have trouble. It's not a newsflash. You will have trouble. So what I wanted to do is get you proactive so that when the trouble comes, you're not reactive. Because reactive lifestyles is often filled with all kinds of things that aren't good for you. Opening my heart and saying, just come on in and wreak havoc in my life. But if you learn to stay hooked to the vine and in constant communion with a sustained life of not getting out of the place of being spirit-led at all times, you can't shake me. Now, you could hurt me. You can reject me, but what I do with the hurt and the rejection is what matters. See, Jesus was hurt and rejected. I'm sorry if you've been hurt by me. I'm sorry if you've been hurt by pastors. I'm sorry if religion has let you down. So let's all make a decision and build a culture that's not that, because it can't rely on me. Because if it's all about me, you're going to get let down. But if it's about a family and a community and a culture of health, and we're all flamed on communing with the Lord... I'm not going to get to the Lord's prayer today, but I'm going to get right up to it. The Lord's prayer is a community prayer. Our Father, let us. That prayer is a community prayer. And so what I'm saying to you is, I don't want you guys to walk in hurts and pains and offenses and unforgiveness, but it's going to take all of us being communing with the Lord consistently if this thing's going to work. We'll never get unified because if you're not hearing God's voice, you won't listen to my voice. The greatest thing I can do is get each of you communing with the Lord and hearing God's voice. Now, that's not something you can just teach in 30 minutes. It's a process of a lifetime. But I am going to give you some great tools that God's already given us and tell you how I do it personally as well. So it's constant sustained prayer. So what happens when you don't live a sustained prayer life? This is so black and white for me. I'm going to spell it out so simply. You lose what? you'll lose your heart. My heart's lost. But if I stay connected to the Lord and the vine, guess what happens? My heart's awakened and I find my heart and my heart is alive, not dead. Not, I, don't, I never want to give up. And when the devil comes to lie to me and says, you should just quit, I'm now hearing God's voice that says, no, you're not a quitter. Don't be moved by what other people think or say because somebody's going to say something about you or not like you and you can't live your life as a man pleaser. That's the, this is the key to the scripture. If I'm not in constant communion, then I'm going to be in constant communion with myself or you. So now what you do is going to affect me negatively if it's a negative thing. Do you ever get around people that just don't like you? Let me tell you what that's like for me. I'm going to tell you what that's like for me. Last night, I went to pray for a baby that was six months old that has brain tumors that's going in for surgery tomorrow in Houston. I got asked to go pray for the baby, lay hands on the baby. It was a, there was a gr- big gathering of people there, and there was somebody there that clearly did not like me. If I walked in any way, their direction, they, and I don't even know them, okay, but I got introduced as the pastor, and as soon as I did, that person was hightailing the other direction. Anywhere I went in the house, they went the other way. There are many functions that I go to where I get into an environment, and I can feel somebody repelling me. I, have you ever, can you feel it when people repel you? Do you know what your first natural instinct to do when somebody repels you is? Well, that's you, and that's the right answer. <laughs> Ruben's like, go forward. Yeah, that's right. But what I'm saying to you is, they don't like me. They don't want to talk to me. Fine, I don't want to talk to them. So we live in this world of constantly reflecting each other. That's a big thing in marriage. When my wife's having a bad day and she's not saying her words very nicely (laughs) because she's black and white and I'm more sensitive, I'm a feeler, she's not. And she's just like lays it on me and I don't like it. So I just lay it back on her. And next thing you know, that did not go very well. I never win. I never win, I can assure you. So the point is, is that instead when I sense people doing that, I lean in towards them and I often go up and give them a big bear hug. You know why? Why? Because when the captain of the police force walks in here with a stony, hard heart, and is not born again, and he comes in and doesn't want to be here, I walk right up and give him a big bear hug, and that afternoon, he got born again. Because I've learned and realized that love diffuses hate and anger and violence and all those other things, and what I'm saying to you is, if you don't like me, then I'm just going to get a little bit closer to you. And it's funny how many people just don't want to hug me, they just like... So the, the thing is about the scriptures, it's all about beholding, because what you behold, this is the most simplest thing for me. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer some of the hows and the where's and the when's for you, because Jesus did that. But I first want to get you to understand that if you're not in constant sustained communion and have an accurate view of how much the Lord loves you, it's kind of like this. If you build houses or install cameras or come to a house and somebody says, I want six, seven cameras, or I'm going to have you do something in construction, or if I have any contractors here, anytime they're going to build something, what do they first have to look at? The plans, the blueprints. Actually, before the blueprints, you have to go to a architect. So there's an architect that has a
1: blueprint. You just got to get with the plan.
0: And so in every situation of what to deal with, how to deal with it, whatever crisis, whether it's sickness, money, finances, relationships, somebody's got a strategy. But I got to get in line with the strategy because if I'm not in line in agreement with him, I'm in agreement with myself. And if I'm counseling me, we got a problem.
1: If you're counseling you,
0: or somebody else is counseling you that's not getting counsel from the Lord, we have a problem. So God says, Jesus teaches this prayer. There's injustices happening in your life. You're not getting any justice from the system. And an adversary's kicking your hiney. So what do I do? This this parable goes on to say that God will avenge speedily those who cry out day and night. Cry out. Day and night. How often? Night. Revelation 12.10 says the accuser accuses the saints day and night. How often? Night. So God says, my, if my elect, my sons and daughters, will cry out to me, how often? I will avenge them speedily. But the enemy's accusing you, how often? So I got a full-time strategy. And now my answer to the enemy's ploys and strategies are not spin out, blow up, get sidetracked, get out of my place, get interrupted in my communion. And now I'm not adhering to what he says. Instead, I'm saying, get out, get away. You don't have a place here. I'm staying rested in my position in Jesus. And I'm, the door's shut.
1: Shut the door. This is a hard issue.
0: Do you guys hear me? I can't say it any clearer. How many of you would live with your house, the front door of your house open every night? Like I said last week, thanks to my buddy Rick, I got six cameras on my house, a full-time alarm system, and a loaded gun. You do not want to come in my front door in the middle of the night. I will be spirit-led. <laughs> and I'm not for violence. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm going to protect my two children, and I'm going to keep my house a fortified front with the Lord. I'm not personally going to live in Corpus Christi with my front door unlocked or open, and I love my city. But yesterday, uh, it just so happened a stranger walked up to the door, rung the doorbell. My kids were standing in the front area of my house, and I don't have blinds on the side of my doors because my 50-pound dogs have shredded them to pieces, so I took them down. So the window's wide open. The man walks up, and I could tell he's from the streets, and it didn't look like a really despondent destitute it was a guy that I realized if I open up this door and he wanted to jump me it would be a fight and so I don't know him and I have my little kids there and my kids are staring at him right in the window <laughs> now my I have a five and six year old standing right at the door how many of you think I should just open up the door and said hey what's up dude now if the Holy Spirit told me to do that I would But you know what instead I felt led to do? I walked right up to the door and turned the handle because I had left the door unlocked. And I said, kids, walk away. We're not opening the door. Why, Daddy? Why? He's rang the doorbell. He wants to come in. The door is shut. Listen to me. I want you to understand something. If you don't shut the door to the lies of the enemy and the adversary, And anything that's contrary to God's will, he's going to wreak havoc in your heart, and instead of a beautiful garden, it's going to be weeds, thorns, and thistles. And you will live a life stressed out, maxed out, wanting for more, and never satisfied. Your career and your job is not your calling. Your money is not your calling. Your kids are not your calling. It's part. Your calling is, is to tend and keep and cultivate the promises of God for your life and the kingdom and to take care of not only your family, but his family. And God gives you the provision, you are not your family's provider, nor is your job. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, and you shall and thou shalt, Andres, be Melody's provider. God always wants to be the provider. He's the only provider. Your job, your house, your gifts, your talents, your car, your truck, your home, your life, your son, your daughters, your family, everything you have was his to begin with. He's the one that put it in your hand. And he says, now cultivate it with my leading and communing. That's why if you're not hooked in full time, you're going to lose heart. My kids know how to really get me to the spot of almost losing heart. They're five and six. And they, I don't understand how they think they can negotiate everything why don't they figure out no means no? I mean, they just, push, they just push me and my wife. I mean, you want to talk about the biggest strain on marriage and life, it can be your kids. So I'm like, Jesus, you better show me what to do and say right now because I'm about to slap them down in a second. And he says, restrain yourself, son. Oh. Get to that timeout right now, whatever it is. You're going to have all kinds of opportunity in your life to lose heart. Would you all agree? Some of you today may feel like you're losing heart. Here's why you feel like that. Something in what you're seeing in your natural circumstances or what you're feeling physically can cause you to lose heart. That's why 2 Corinthians
1: 5, 6 says, We walk by faith,
0: not by sight. Because what you see is the enemy of your faith. Because what you see brings fear. So, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? Your checkbook, your bank account, your money, your situations, your problems, your spouse? The problems with family, children, kids, friendships, somebody cheated on you, stabbed you in the back, your best friend that you thought loved you forever and be with you forever turned around and slept with your, your boyfriend or girlfriend and your ex and then this happened and that happened and the people you trusted and the pastor and the church and the this and the that. And I could just go down the line of how many things could come to cause you to lose heart.
1: What are you looking at?
0: The second thing is, is that, you will get sidetracked out of the place of prayer if you don't purposefully and intentionally plan to commune with God. I'm going to show that to you, all right? God's voice brings life, comfort, guidance, direction, healing, strength, courage, and confidence. So what is prayer? What is prayer and how do we pray? There are many different ways and types of prayers. However, simply put, prayer is a conversation. It's a dialogue, not a monologue. We don't do all the talking and he doesn't ever respond, or we do too much talking and not enough listening. In this setting, in the typical Western church setting that we have now, this is a monologue, not a dialogue. Now, I work hard to make you feel apart and be relevant so that you can engage, and it applies to everybody here, but Lives are transformed in dialogues, not monologues. Will you catch some wind? Will you feel refreshed? Will you get inspired, hopefully to live differently when you leave here today? Yes. But the only thing that will really change you is a monologue where you're hearing somebody speak to your situation. Let me give you an example. I preach my heart and soul out here every Sunday. And I don't understand how so many people just don't seem to be listening to what I say. Because here's what happens. Now, I'm not upset. Just hear me out. I'll get a call, and don't stop doing this, but I'll get a call like, Pastor, I really need to meet with you. So I meet with them. And they're like, Pastor, I don't know what to do about the situation. And I'll say the exact same thing I said on Sunday. And they go, wow, I get it. You're so right. Man, how did I not know that? And I want to go, you stinker. I just preached that the day before. You know why? Dialogue. <clears throat> Dialogue. So in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, Jesus gives the Great Commission. The Great Commission's for all of us, and here's what he says. He says, go into all the world and make disciples. The only way you can become a disciple is with an apprentice. Right? The only way that... I can teach a barista how to make really good coffee is if they have somebody that stands there, educates them, shows them, and teaches them face-to-face. YouTube videos don't make a great barista.
1: Right?
0: And so discipleship is apprenticeship. So to make a disciple, yes, I'm teaching you what God's taught me, but ultimately Jesus had to get in the trenches with his 12, didn't he? And he he invested into the 12, who then would take it on to the 70, the 500, the 5,000, and the multitudes. That's why decentralized leadership is so important. If this revolves around me, this will never work. Everybody say "Decentralized decentralized leadership. That's why I need you. That's why I need you. I need you. I need you. You need me. We all need each other. So if I can get this church to flame on an in intimacy and to always stay in communion, you won't lose heart. And guess what you won't do? You won't get offended because I walked by you and I didn't hug you and Marlene was too mean to you and somebody didn't do this. I didn't call you when I said I would. I gave 3, 000, my number to 3,000 people. I'm sorry I didn't text you back and you were in crisis because I was driving or my kids were throwing up and diarrhea. I don't know what the situation was but I totally forgot, and now you got offended because the pastor didn't care. The devil comes right in and then lies to you, and now you want to quit, and you lose heart. I don't have an issue with one single person, none. I don't have an issue with anybody. You want to know why? I'm going to totally go off track because I'm on a roll right now. I'm going to teach you guys something so powerful. Let me teach you guys something so powerful. You ready? I'm going to drop a truth bomb right on you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you all should know it. it says, that anybody that's in Christ Jesus is a new creation. Behold, all things have become new, right? But do you know what 16 says? Here's what it says. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says that because of who I am and what Jesus has done in my life, I don't regard anybody according to the flesh.
1: Look at the screen.
0: So when I look at Brandon, I see a mighty man of God full of promise and power and authority and super gifted to change nations and a history maker that when he flames on even more than who he is and starts to see himself who he is now and comes out of this season stronger, better, bigger, brighter, and more powerful, he's going to be laying hands on the sick, casting out demons, walking in leadership, and probably pastoring a church. That's what I see. I don't... I, Oh, you got porn in your life? I don't see that unless the Lord... Oh, you, you, you're mad? You're angry? You're, oh, you're offended at me? And I have a lots of reasons to regard people according to the flesh. Somebody got offended at me. They left here and tonight they posted something on Facebook. It's already happened. Ran it on me, ran it against us. We're heartless. We don't care. This church is only about money. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. They weren't there, but they didn't call. Nobody knew, but they're mad at me. It was my fault. And you know what I do? I have to have the eyes to see them the way Jesus sees them or I will want to rip you a new one and we'll get into a Facebook fight. (laughs) Who wants a Facebook fight? You don't want a Facebook fight me. You don't. Let me tell you, I got some strong fingers to hit that keyboard. Even David said he's trained my fingers for war. I will type you to no end. Don't fight me on a keyboard. (laughs) What if you could start to see people the way God sees them and stop looking at them in regards to the flesh or with the carnal nature because we're supposed to live spiritual and compare all things with spiritual. So I can look and say, I love you, I see what's in you, but this isn't spiritual in your life, so come on, I believe in you, let's get you up to where you're supposed to be. So there are different types of prayers. Prayer is a conversation. It's a dialogue. Prayer is us coming into agreement with God's heartbeat for us. It's getting with the architect who has the blueprint and has the answers for everything. Here's a great sidetrack for that. Jesus said, I am the manna that came down in the wilderness. I'm the bread of life. How many of you know what manna means? Manna means, what is it? So every question, every need, every nourishment, every sustaining, every answer, why that person did this, how come that, how this, why are they acting that way, why'd this happen, why did that happen, Lord, what's going on, I don't understand, my boat's rocking, but I'm going to look to you and rest in the midst of it, I'm trusting you right now, Lord, what is it? And he goes, here I come to feed you and sustain you and strengthen you, even when you're uncertain. He's the what is it?
1: So it's coming to agreement. Here's the newsflash. You don't tell God what you want him to do. He tells you what he wants you to do. I'm not saying,
0: God, do it my way. Okay, God, listen. Let me tell you what I need you to do right now. Right now, Lord, I just need you to drop a million dollars in the bank. I just need to solve all my problems. Just God
1: just do it this way, my way right now. God tells you what to do, because He knows best.
0: God knows best. My five-year-old does not tell me what to do when he wants to do it. Now I like my, I, I like my kids to negotiate a little bit because I want to teach them the art of negotiation. That I say a little bit? I meant a little bit. <laughs> okay. But my son many times and my daughter tells me they're going to do things that are contrary to what's best for them. Did you know that, At five and six? If they had their way, they would be on the iPad all day, all day. They'd be on electronics all the time. If they had their way, they would run out the front door when nobody's watching. If they had their way, they would eat chocolate all day long. Right? All right, those are just some simple things I could think about right now. But my point I'm trying to make to you is that you've got to get in agreement with what God's saying and doing about everything in your life because you all got answers. I mean, questions, don't you? We all have questions. So, so what we have to do is make sure we're not getting sidetracked, and that's what Jesus had to do. <clears throat> we want to come into agreement with God's heartbeat for us. Now let me give you a bunch of different ways, types of prayers. All right? There's a bunch of different types of prayers. Let me give some to you. Listening, petitioning, confessing, worshiping, interceding, Warfaring, thanking, supplicating, and always staying watchful. That's the type of prayer. It's me not necessarily always sitting around looking behind my back and waiting for the second coming to come. I'm not talking about that. It's staying attentive in my heart and sober-minded at all times. So I'm alert. I'm not checked out because I already know i got a full-time enemy that hates me. His greatest strategy is just to get me so sidetracked that I'm not staying watchful. Watchful means attentive. So there's a lot of other types. Gratitude, thankfulness, worship, petition, confession. There's a lot of different types of prayer. You're only going to learn when you spend time in God's word because the scripture teaches us how to spend time with God in relationship and intimacy. You're only going to learn to hear God's voice. I want to make this really clear. There are benefits that only God's sons and daughters get that the world does not get. Now, there's a lot of benefits everybody gets. The beach, everybody gets to share the beach. Sunlight, food, fruit, stars, sky, rain, whatever it is. God blesses everybody to a certain extent. And God will even draw people and show himself to them when they don't know him. But the benefits of presence, intimacy, blueprints, architect strategy, comfort, full-time love and extravagance with the Father and in intimacy are reserved for his children. And some people don't like that. But it is what it is. I don't believe everybody's saved and they just don't know it because biblically, God says those that do not have the Spirit are not his. Were they created in his image and likeness? yes. But the likeness was lost in the garden. And so when you get born again, now I get likeness back. So you gotta be born again. I love all of you enough to say this to you straightforward. You're not being born again is not a religion, it's not joining a church, it's not a movement. It's a transformation and an experience. And when you get born again, you bear fruit of Christ in your life. Now that's a process of discovery. And if you don't give up and keep coming back. And stay the, I'm telling you, don't give up. Sometimes I'm just, I hear the Lord say, just don't quit. Just hang on. And I feel like I'm on a roller coaster ride with no seatbelt. And I'm just hanging on to the Lord in life sometimes. You know that? We've been battling something for the last six weeks, which I'll tell you soon. It's had me so nervous. It's had me battling anxiety. It's had me laying in bed, shaking from nervousness while I'm just hanging on to the Lord. And I hear the Lord say, just hang on, son. Don't fall into fear Don't fall into worry and doubt and disbelief. Trust me. Okay, Lord, I'm trusting you. You've never failed me now. You're going to see me through. Some of you are facing situations like that now. We all face it. But what I learn is that I stay full-time hooked to the vine. And what I learn is, is that God's got me in process, and you're all in process, and I'll love you every time. I won't give up on you no matter how many times you fail or fall short Please do not stop coming if you bomb it. Please. God's doing something here, and it's taking time. This church is only going to be seven years old, and I feel like it's only really five and a half years old, and we've come a long way in a short amount of time. This is a culture that we're building, not a typical Western Americanized church. That's why I don't even like this setup. I don't even like this setup. I don't like you all sitting right there looking right at me. What I really wish it was a church in the round, and I think we're going to have to change some blueprints over there because God's been speaking to me that it can't be typical. I wish you all could see each other's faces. Wouldn't that be fun? So here's something about looking at each other because God wants us living in that type of communion face-to-face. Now some of you are like, I didn't come to church to look at that person over there. So this takes time. It's God's timing, but it also takes diligence. I love this statement. You can have as much of God as you want. That's why diligence and making haste is biblical. So the question is, what year plan are you on? A five-year, 10-year, one-year, six-month?
1: Some of you are behind, and you're
0: keeping yourself behind. So there's a great way to catch up. There's a great way to catch up. Let me show you how Jesus stayed in process. Mark 1.35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. This, the tense of this word prayed means it was a continued action, not a brief moment. Jesus was always being pulled on by throngs of people and multitudes and disciples and He was always being pulled on. Do you ever feel like you're always being pulled on? So what Jesus did in this word prayed, it means it was a constant, continuous action in the sense that he was doing what he always did. Now, what does it say he did? He rose long before daylight. I'm not a big long before daylight guy personally. Now, I like sunrise, but long before sunrise is not kind of my thing. But some of us don't have that opportunity or choice due to work and children and family. And Jesus in this time didn't have that choice because he needed to get quiet and away from all the head noise and cacophony and all the busyness of life. And the only time he could find it was long before daylight. Do you know why? Because the minute the sun came up is the minute people were lined up at his door for healing, health, freedom, provision. He had so much to do. So the only time he could find it is then. And so some of you work jobs or are in a life stage that's requiring a lot of you of your time. But if you don't make it a priority to to spend time with Jesus, you're going to fry out. Here's what most people do that work full time all the time or too much and don't spend time with Jesus. Before bed, news, Facebook, Instagram, check out, whatever it is. Whatever it is that gets us to kind of relax and veg out. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I am saying is this, if it's in the... If it's replacing your time with Jesus, and you didn't have it elsewhere, you're going to slowly but surely fade and get robbed. That's my point. Okay, so you got to do, you got to get aggressive. That means when the kids go to bed, or at the end of the day, that means I got to get my refueling because you can't run on an empty tank. You got to keep your tank full. And what will happen is, is you, if you live that constant life of a lot of work and know Jesus' time and hooked to the vine, you'll run on empty, and you're not good empty. That's why I tell Amber, get out of the house now and go have some time with Jesus. Because she knows, and she's like, you got it, I'm out. Stops by coffee waves, gets her coffee, and retreats to a place where she can get away from the distraction. So, notice that Jesus went and departed to a solitary place. Okay? Now, I'm going to talk about solitary here in just a moment. It was early, it was far, and it was away. Luke 5 16. So, he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Jesus often withdrew himself. Often. Why? Anytime Jesus went to pray, he wasn't with people. And when he was with people in the garden, he said, I'm going over there. You stay here. And he went a stone's throw away. Because when you go to get with the Lord, God wants you and your full-time attention. That's why you have to shut the phone off. Put it on. If you got kids and I get it, you get emergency calls, put it on silent mode or do not disturb so that only your most important people can contact you Make a note of the things you have to do and push it to the side because Jesus wants your full-time attention in those moments. There's so many things that will fill your head and attention in life that if you don't learn to withdraw often, you're going to get depleted and zapped and run on an empty cup. So even Jesus withdraw, how often? Often. Right? And he went to a solitary place. In this case, he went to the wilderness which represents a secluded, hidden place far from distraction. It forces you to withdraw and to have solitude where there's no human interaction and it's a private prayer life. It's not conversation time with your friends and family. It's time for you to spend time with him. Because when you spend time with him intimately, you hear his voice come into agreement and you get renewed and strengthened. You think about the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where it says we became new, we are new, and we're becoming new. Where do you get new? Privately with him. So Jesus would often retreat, and he would have a place. In this case, it was the wilderness. Everybody say this with me. Say, God's in the spots. Now, I have all kinds of spots. And please, don't come try to find me in my spot. And I tell you where they are. It started out here right under the bridge under, at the turnaround here in Flower Bluff until a news report came out that there was a live grenade found right where I parked my truck. So I moved. That wasn't my spot anymore. <laughs> the other thing is right here, everybody was finding me because my tags say Rock City. So next thing you know, I'm having Jesus time, crying, weeping, hearing his voice, and somebody's knocking on my window asking for a handout. No. So I moved across the bridge. Jesus would often retreat to the mountain or to the wilderness. We don't have mountains, but we have a beach. And if you can't get away to the beach, Jesus even took it further, which I'll show you, which is in your room, in your bedroom, where intimacy and rest happens. God wants to get you away so you can hear him. And if you're constantly I'm going to tell you right now, this, is, this often feels like my worst enemy, my phone. I'm telling you what, this, if this thing could, if I let it, it could rule my life. I can't stand this thing. half. I have a love-hate relationship. I love it, and I hate it. Because seriously, I could be on it all the time, and it will rob me from my quiet time And it'll rob me from my kids' time. It'll rob me from my family time. It'll keep me out of the presence. It'll keep me from not being present with my family, won't it? So God wants to get you away. He wants to get you retreated. Luke 6, 12. Now, it came came to pass in those days that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. So he went to the mountain and prayed and continued all night in prayer. The next verse of this scripture says that Jesus then went and picked his 12 disciples. Can you imagine the whole world, the number number of 12 people that are going to follow him and be led by him and learn from him, he would have to pick and they're jacked up. That would keep you in prayer all night long. Because the point is, it's as long as the Lord wants you there to speak to you. And it's pre-planned, pre-structured, in a sense that I know I've got to do it at this time, so I put it in my calendar and I plan for it in the day. Now, I don't live this life of compartmentalized prayer, but if I don't plan it, it'll never happen. If I don't retreat, I'll never do it. I won't hear his voice clearly, and I won't make good decisions for my life or for your life. So Jesus went to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night. Matthew 14, 22 through 25. It, I love this, by the way, so much. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So Jesus had been healing the multitudes. It was night. It was dusk. So he made the disciples get in a boat, go across the Sea of Galilee, And he sent the multitudes away, and then he went to pray, all right? And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. It's powerful, because there's a difference between being lonely and being alone. And some of you feel lonely, and I understand that, but that gets you leading to the feeling that nobody's there with you and for you, but the truth is Jesus is always there, and that's why you have to learn to get alone. You have to learn to be by yourself. That's the place you find him. Don't let your shame, don't let your failures, don't let anything hold you back. Just come as you are. Everybody says to me, say, take me as I am. God wants you just the way you are. You don't need to get more religious. You don't need to come to church more. You don't need to get it all figured out because he's the one that fixes you, strengthens you, heals you, directs you, and guides you. So what happened? He was alone there. But the boat, verse 24, was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. This is an awesome revelation I'm about to give you. Jesus was by himself on the mountain praying when the storm rose up and started rocking the boat and they thought they were going to die in the mid, in the late in the night and Jesus came down started walking on the water and rescued them. He went from the mountain in private to walking on the sea in public. And that's the way it works on your life. Instead of you feeling like your boat's going to sink and you feel like you're not going to make it, you're now walking on water like Jesus did. It's a spiritual understanding. I try to walk on water all the time. I was at the beach two days ago, and I walked out on the water, and I said, today's my day. I'm going to walk on the water. And as I got in, I started, because it's not about literally. I don't know anybody that's literally walked on water. Maybe somebody. Has. We know Peter did, and it could happen. But the premise of the story is when the boat's rocking and you feel like you're going to sink and the storms are all around, you have the strength and the ability to walk on the water and instead of it killing you, now you're above it. Why? Because I was on the mountain the night before. What I did in private, you guys are going to get this. I'm telling you this will change your life. You got to stop being moved by the circumstances of this life. The White House, the economy, the presidential race, the news, Iran, Iraq, the wars, the rumors of wars, whatever it is, all this stuff going on in your life. If you don't get this understanding of strength and stability privately, you're never going to get it publicly, and you'll be moved by every wind of doctrine, struggles, challenges, money, situations, family, and circumstances.
1: You understand that?
0: Luke twenty two thirty nine 39 through 41. Coming out, he, Jesus, went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. You know what accustomed means? Accustomed means normal. Not just Sunday, not just Wednesday, not a brief moment. Accustomed, Jesus, if Jesus, how many of you would like to be like Jesus? That's why we're here, right? I got a, the most simplest thing for you. Do what Jesus did. And he had an accustomed, customary, normal, consistent, sustained prayer life in the secret place, in a hidden place, in a secluded place, in a solitary place. Now, notice this. He says, when he came to that place, verse 40, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is about to get arrested. His hour had come, right? This is the context of the Scripture. He takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, which means olive press. And he says to his disciples, pray so that you don't enter into temptation. What temptation would they enter into? Or could they? When Jesus would get arrested, they could flee, they could run, they could deny, they could lose heart. All kinds of, they could be tempted to, to cut somebody's ear off, which happened. I mean, all kinds of stuff. But I read it this way. Pray so that I don't come into temptation. Do you know the, the, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, which I'm not going to get to today, but it says, lead us not into temptation. God would never lead you into temptation. The better way to read that is, lead me away or out of temptation. He's never going to lead you. In, now, you'll be tried, you'll be tested, and he does test us, but he's not going to say, now listen, tonight, Troy, I need you to go over to Cheetah's.
1: By yourself, I'm going to tempt you. Really?
0: It's like, imagine, my kids wake up starving in the morning, and I take out a big, giant piece of, you know, Reese's peanut butter chocolate, which is our favorite thing right now, and I lay it out, and I put bag food next to it, and I say, now, you can only eat this bag food, and you're not getting any chocolate. Don't even look at that chocolate. I wouldn't do that to my kids. They would melt down. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. That's a dumb temptation. I would never do that, but it's all I could think of right now. You understand my point? So pray, be proactive. Everybody say this with me. Say, Lord, make me proactive so that I won't be reactive. And when he was withdrawn from them, a stone's throw, he knelt down and he did what? Let me just tell you this real quick. Jesus went to the garden as was his custom. It was the olive press. It was the olive press. That's what that garden means. Let me break it down for you spiritually. God takes you. When you go to the secret place to get with him, it becomes a garden. I have a garden of Gethsemane right now. It's right under the bridge. It's on the beach. It's in my closet or it's in my prayer. It's a garden. When I see to go with the Lord, I'm going to the garden. So if I have weeds and thorns and stuff in me, he's going to pull it out right there. I look at it this way. I go in an olive, and I come out olive oil.
1: Do you understand that?
0: You guys are a nice, ripe harvest of olives. And olives are good, but I need you to become some olive oil because spiritually, olive oil brings power, presence, life, fire, strength, comfort, and causes you to become everything God's called you to be. You know where you get that from? the olive press. These are my last few scriptures, and I'll break it down for you, and I just happen to know it really well. So Jesus would go to teach the disciples how to pray because the disciples would come to him in Luke 11, chapter chapter 11, verse 1, and the disciples would say, teach us how to pray. Now, we would all like to learn how to pray, right? And I want to teach you how to pray. Look at the this scripture. It's this a great question. Jesus teaches how to pray. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, instead of just going right and teach them how to pray, Jesus teaches you how not to pray. So let's start with here's how you don't pray, okay? This is so simple. I'm going to conclude with this. Here's how you don't pray, all right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, do not
1: pretend. Because God sees right
0: through pretension. That's what hypocrisy means. I'm faking it. I'm not authentic. It means to be a pretender. Doesn't that drive you nuts when you see people that lay claim to being Christians, but their lives live contrary, and they claim to be super religious and spiritual, but they're jerks? Ever met somebody like that? So don't be a hypocrite. Don't pretend. Just come as you are. And just, you know, 32 of the Psalms are open complaints to God. And some of them are jacked up. David, in Psalm 73, is like, man, look at the rich. They're rocking and rolling and wealthy and prosperous. I've come to the Lord in vain. This is a waste of time. Don't pray that prayer. But see, God put it in the Bible. You know why? Because it's real, it's raw, and it's authentic. And God loves that. Come to him as you are and let him deal with your issues and your struggles and your sin. Let him burn up the things inside of your life that aren't right. Isn't that powerful? So don't be a hypocrite. Just
1: lay it all out
0: there. Nothing grows in the dark. He sees everything already. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Just lay it all out there and let him work on you. Okay? Also. Don't pray so that people can see you or how good you pray or pray for people. A hypocrite cares more about what other people think than what God thinks. They're man-pleasers. Don't be a man-pleaser, okay? Now, I want to be measured, but measure me with mercy and love. Don't pick me apart, okay? And when you're in a culture and atmosphere of transparency and love, We're going to love you through it, not beat you up in what you're going through. And so in this particular case, we're praying so that God can see, and we're doing it for him, not for you. That's what hypocrites do. That's what is religion gone awry, because they they are supposed to be the ones that know God intimately, and they're the ones that people are looking to to be reflections of God, and instead they're liars and hypocrites and deceivers, and they care more about what you think than what God thinks. Verse seven, we'll skip six for a quick moment. Here's another thing. When you pray, don't use vain repetitions like the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. You know what I've learned about many words? You know, the more I get to, the the better friendship I come with someone, the less conversations I have with them. Did you know that? When I'm hanging around, like if I'm hanging out around with Frank and Frank and I are doing something together, and something's going on, all I gotta do is look at Frank and go, there you go. I feel you, I get you. The more that I know you, the more that I'm in relationship with you, the more, the less conversation I have to have because I know your heart and think what you think and feel what you feel. So how do you really know God's heartbeat and how do you carry the shadow and the secret place of God everywhere you go? It's because I spent time there privately. I know him. I know, see, I don't know all your all's voices. I know a lot of your voices. And you're going to know my voice really well because you come week in and week out to hear me preach. And I wear my heart on my sleeve. And I can't intimately spend time with everybody. My bandwidth isn't that wide, right? But if I do spend time with you intimately, I know your voice. Melissa, do you know your son Philip's voice? How well? And so if you were both at shopping at HEB or at the grocery store and you didn't know he was there and he was in the other line talking, would you recognize his voice? Why? Because you know it, and he's your son, obviously. So we know God's voice from relationship and time and intimacy and process over the course of time, all right? And so using a lot of vain repetition and words doesn't do any good. Like, for example, I am not anti-Catholic. I want to say that right now. I think the Catholic Church does a lot of great things for the community, and there are a lot of great born-again Catholics. But repeating the Lord's Prayer 25 times in a row does not make you more spiritual. I mean, I went to a Catholic wedding once. I'm like, oh my goodness. i mean, a Catholic funeral. I was like, how many times can we say the Lord's Prayer for goodness sakes? Because the Lord's Prayer was never meant to be a repetitious thing. It was meant to be a pattern of life. Our Father, intimacy, communion, identity, worship. And I'll teach that to you another time. But what I'm saying to you is, less words, more listening. Pour your heart out and listen. My most common prayer now is, Lord, I love you. You know what you want to do. Do what you do best, and I'll stay in line with it. God, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? I'm listening. Speak to me, Father. That's a powerful prayer, okay? So I'll
1: leave you with this. Matthew 6, 6. Here's how you
0: do pray. But you, when you pray, go into your room, or the beach, or the bridge, or if you live in Colorado and you're listening to me, go to the mountain. Do what Jesus did. Find your spot. God's into spots. All right? Now say this with me. Say, he's already there. He's already here. See, the issue isn't getting God to meet you. The issue is getting you to meet God. That's why he says, go to your room. Your room can be in the private, anywhere. And when you pray, shut the door. What am I shutting the door to? All the lies, the voices, the deception, the fear, the worry, the anxiety, the enemy, the adversary, my failures, my shame, my path. I'm shutting the door to that, and I'm opening the door to him. And when you shut the door, pray to your father. Everybody say this to me. He's already there. Where is he? He's already there in the secret. Look at the scripture. So the religious deceptive lie that you have to be more spiritual and pray longer, if you pray for an hour in tongues, he'll come. Not. If you lay on your face long enough and suck up some carpet, he'll come. Not. If you cry hard enough about your mistakes, he'll come. Not. Where is he?
1: Because again, I'm going to
0: reiterate this point. It's not about getting God to come. It's about getting you to meet him there. And so here's the principle. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Secret there, public here. Private there, revealed here. Dwell there, shadow here. Psalm 91. This is a principle for all of you. So when I see you ever, anywhere, and you tell me how you're melting down problems, not hearing God's voice, issues, marriage struggles, challenges, I already know we missed a secret.
1: Hidden there, public here.
0: Private there, revealed here. Everything I'm teaching you, I only had an hour to prepare. I didn't even need that today. I've been living this for years and years and years. What you do in private, he'll reward you openly. And you know your greatest open reward is not how good I look to you today. It's not how anointed I was. Yeah! It wasn't so you all will follow me more and get more money. That's not my reward. My reward is looking like him, sounding like him, being like him. It's called being glorified. Lord, glorify me so that anybody that does see me will see you. Woo! It's Powerful. And verse 8, verse 8 says, don't be like the hypocrite. Thank you, by the way. Don't be like them. Your father knows the things you have need before you ask him. Did you know that? So then why pray?
1: Thank you all. You're a
0: very spiritual church. I appreciate that. Let me help you with something. Y'all have needs. Everybody's got needs. It's not about my needs. It's about him. Because when I find him, my needs get met. More people want his hand than his heart. I don't want a hand out. I want his heart. I already know if I seek him, all my needs will be taken care of. Matthew 6:33. It's not about your needs. What he wants is intimacy and relationship because he wants you. Do you see it? So when you leave here today, whatever your life looks like, I'm challenging you. Pre-plan, schedule, set aside, constantly commune, dig deep privately, spend time with him. And there's, I'm not gonna go into all the details of that or the Lord's Prayer yet because this goes on to the Lord's Prayer. Because he says, when you pray, pray this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The whole Lord's prayer is a pattern of living, and it's how I pray. Many times when I feel like I don't know what to say, I'm like, oh, Jesus. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I just. If you'll start with worship, just start with worship. It gets your eyes off you, right? Come on, you can do it. I found for me, I got, and God will mess up my formula. If it's a formula, he'll mess it up. If I think every time if I get my right coffee at the right time with the right worship music, I'm going to have an encounter, he'll mess that up. But the point I'm trying to make to you is he doesn't care. He just wants me. So I'll get my coffee. I'll go find the spot secluded. I'll put my phone on silent, and I'll just sit there and say, ah, Papa, I love you. Thank you, Lord. I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. And man, those times turn into the most incredible times. And God gives me downloads and strategies and blueprints and encounters. And then when I leave there, I'm under His shadow. It's residue. It's he who dwells in the secret place will abide under the shadow. Dwell there, shadow here. Dwell there, shadow here. Got it? Did I help you all today? Did that that make sense? Good. I know I went long, but... If you haven't figured out that I'm going long every week, I don't know what else to tell you.
1: Let's all stand.